Well, good morning. Aren't you so glad that Jesus paid the debt he didn't know, and he paid the debt that we couldn't pay? And that's why we're here this morning to talk about Jesus and to praise him and worship him for what he's done for us. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1 this morning. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 1 and some various other passages in the book of Acts. But we are in the second week of our evangelism emphasis, and if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to, to listen to the message to see what that was about. But I want to remind you what we hope to accomplish through this, through this emphasis. Your Sunday school classes and the messages are going to have a common thing each week. We've asked our Bible study classes to compile a list of people who don't know Jesus and pray for them by name on a regular basis. We've also asked each Sunday school class to adopt an unreached people group there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world, and to pray for that people group to have a gospel witness and to come to know Christ. We're also asking our teachers to take a few minutes each month to share with their class a tool or a method that, that can be used for sharing the gospel. And as Bill mentioned this display up here, I mentioned to you last week that I asked you to think of at least one person, it can be more than one, who you want to give their life to Jesus, who you want to see come to know Christ. And so during our time of commitment this morning, you're going to be invited to come down and put that person's initials or that first name on a ping pong ball, of that person that God has laid on your heart, and you're going to drop that ping pong ball into the display. And this is going to serve for us as a church as a visual reminder of the people we are praying for to come to know Christ. But not only are you committing to pray for that person to come to know Jesus, you're also committing to ask God to give you the opportunity to talk to that person about coming to know Him. And after this morning and throughout the year, you can continue to drop, drop in the display those white ping pong balls as God lays on your heart people that you know or people that you run into that need to know Him. As I mentioned last week, we're having two goals. We're having a goal for gospel conversations. That means when you talk to somebody that you eventually get to talking to them about Jesus. And our goal as a church is to have 700 gospel conversations. And when you have a gospel conversation, you'll be able to drop a yellow ping pong ball on that display. We don't have these here this morning, but they'll be available when we set up the display in the foyer uh, beginning next week. We also have a goal of 40 salvations. As a church, we want to see at least 40 people come to know Christ as a result of Him working in their lives, as a result of us sharing with them. And this display will be available and accessible throughout the year, and we're hoping to put it in the foyer for convenience. Also, as part of this emphasis, as Linda mentioned this morning, we're having upward follow-up visitation starting this Tuesday night at 6.30. We're going to visit those upward families who indicated on the information form that they have no church home, as far as we know. So we're going to go visit them. We're going to say thank you for being part of our upward ministry. We're going to give them information about our church, but we want to do more than that. We also want to have a gospel conversation with them. And then one other thing we're doing this month on Wednesday nights at 6.15 in the choir room. We're having a prayer emphasis for, for this evangelism emphasis. We're going to pray for the lost. We're going to pray for our upward follow-up. And for God to give boldness and courage to share Him with others. And I can't stress the importance of prayer enough. 
If we're going to be successful in evangelizing and in winning people to Jesus, prayer is the key. As prayer is the key to anything that we do. And last week we started a new series called The Mission of Life. And for the next few weeks we're going to continue this series. And I, I started or uh, shared with you that the mission of life is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. That is the mission that God has given us as believers. The mission that as we live life, that as we go to make disciples for Christ by sharing the good news of Jesus and the gospel. And this is evangelizing. And I shared that in order to fulfill, fulfill this mission, we have to pray. We have to proceed. We have to endure persecution. We have to overcome panic. And, and we have to hold on to God's promises. And this week's message, I want to share with you that there is something else that we need to do if we're going to fulfill the mission of life of sharing Jesus. You see, if we're going to share Jesus with those who do not know him, we must be prepared. We must be prepared. You know, sometimes in life we are ill-prepared. I know throughout school and college and even seminary, I was ill-prepared to take the test that was put in front of me. And I'm sure if you have had those same experiences. I know sometimes when we go from a job interview, we may not be prepared to answer the questions that are asked. You know, when I think of Napoleon when he was defeated by Russia in 1812. Napoleon was not prepared to go into Russia. There were several critical factors that led to his defeat and his demise. The insufficient access to resources, the unfamiliar and freezing terrain, and the, and the strategic efforts of the French military leaders. And Benjamin Franklin said this, he said, By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. By failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So if we're going to learn what we need to know to succeed in life, whether it's in school or our careers or or, or our ministry, we are going to have to be prepared. And being prepared includes the area of witnessing. Because if we want to be an effective witness for Christ, we need to be a prepared witness for Christ. So this morning, I want to share with you from the book of Acts that, that as followers of Christ, what we need to do if we're going to be a prepared witness for Jesus. So let's look in the book of Acts and let's read verses 1 through 3. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 3. This is what Luke writes. He writes, I wrote the first narrative to the officers about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The first thing I want to share is a prepared witness must understand the message of God. A prepared witness must understand the message of God. The message of God, the message of Scripture is that God's love for us as seen in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the message of Scripture is how lives only can be changed if we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, if we believe in His sinless life, if we believe in a substitutionary death and the resurrection if we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. As Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, this is the gospel. Paul wrote, for what I received I passed on to you as first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. If we are going to share the gospel, we just don't have to believe the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. And Luke, he begins the book of Acts with the account of the ascension of Jesus. And he reminds Theophilus, I'll get it right in a second, Theophilus, who was possibly a Roman officer, a high-ranking official in the Roman government. And his name means one who loves God or, or one who is a friend of God. And he had already written about all that Jesus began to do and teach in his other gospel, the gospel of Luke. And when you read the Gospel of Luke, that was also addressed to this gentleman by the name of Theophilus. But in Acts, Luke tells Theophilus that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus rose from the dead, and he presented himself alive over a 40-day period. And notice Luke said that Jesus presented himself alive, how? By many convincing proofs. In other words, Luke is telling Theophilus there is credible evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would tell you this morning as Easter is approaching, there is credible evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. That's not the message this morning, but there is. There's the empty tomb. There's the appearance to many witnesses. There's the extra biblical writings of the Jewish and Roman historians. There's the fulfillment of prophecy. But I think the greatest evidence is the changed lives of the disciples. Compare what the disciples were doing before the crucifixion and after the crucifixion. They were down. They were fearful. They were hidden. They locked themselves in a room. And then compare their lives to what they did after the resurrection where they were bold and they were fearless and they thought they were going to die before. Now they are willing to die for Jesus. And as you read the book of Acts, the disciples can't be silenced about the gospel. And so Paul's intention is to give, or Luke's intention is to give Theophilus certainty that the things that he had been taught were indeed true and trustworthy. And in the book of Acts, Luke goes on to detail the spread of Christianity throughout the world. So Luke's point to Theophilus is that Jesus is not dead. That Jesus is alive and after his ascension, Luke is going to show us that the followers of Christ continued to carry out the mission of Jesus. And as you read the book of Acts, it is very clear that the disciples clearly understood their mission to share the gospel. Acts 2, 22 to 24, Peter's greatest sermon, it says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words, this Jesus the Nazarene was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs that God did among you through them, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32 of chapter 2. God has resurrected the Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. Peter clearly understood the gospel message you go to Luke chapter I mean Acts chapter 8 verse 35 Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch which we're going to look at later listen to what scripture says so Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture in Acts chapter 10 40 to 43 the disciples said this God raised up this man on the third day permitted him to be seen not by all the people but by us Witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
He commanded us to preach to the people to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. And there's more scriptures throughout the book of Acts where it's very clear that the disciples just didn't believe, excuse me, believe the gospel message. They understood it and they were willing to share it. You see, an important ability for witnessing and sharing Jesus is to be able to discuss with someone the tenets of the Christian faith. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. John MacArthur wrote this, He said, there must be an accurate understanding of the content of Christian truth before any ministry can be effective. Such knowledge is foundational to spiritual power and to fulfilling the church's mission. The lack of it is insurmountable and devastating to the evangelistic purpose of God. John MacArthur is simply saying that if we don't know the gospel message, if we don't understand the tenets of the Christian faith, it's going to be devastating to our witness as believers. This is why it's so important to know what we believe and why we believe it. And every believer should be able to understand the gospel and explain the gospel and give a defense of their faith. This is called apologetics. Not meaning that we're apologizing for our faith, but meaning that we are defending our faith. And there are a lot of great resources that, we, that are available to us as believers There's a website, gotquestions.org. That is a great resource to use if you have questions about Scripture. The Apologetics Bible is a great resource as it has articles relating to things that that may, may stump us, but it shows us how to answer the skeptics and the critics. There's also great Christian books out there that will help us defend our faith. You see, as believers, we are instructed to be careful and students of the Word of God. We're to read it, we're to study it, we're to memorize it, we're to meditate upon it so we can be as prepared as possible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Paul wrote to Timothy that God's word is for training for every good work. And that includes the mission of evangelism. And don't feel pressure to have all the answers. Someone may ask you a question that you may not know the answer to right away. You may not know how to respond immediately to the objection they've raised. But instead of making something up, be honest with them and tell them that you'll study it and you'll get back with them. The worst thing we can do is make something up that isn't true. The worst thing we can do is act like we know the answer and it's not the right answer. If you don't know the answer to something that's asked, tell them that you'll get back to them later. Tell them that you'll research it. And then do the research and then get back to them and have that conversation. But I want to share with you just a couple of of common objections that people have and how we can respond. One of them is there is no such thing as absolute truth. You've heard that. People will say there is no absolute truth. You know, when it comes to truth, truth is narrow. 
When it comes to truth, there's one right answer and many wrong answers. Five plus five is ten. There is no other answer to that equation. Five plus five is ten. That is absolute truth. And when it comes to eternity, there's one right answer and there's many wrong answers. And the only right answer of truth is God's word. You know, and there's a great statement you can use. You can say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it matters what's true. Because it doesn't matter what we believe. What matters is what is true according to God's word. You may believe the earth is flat, but it's not. I might believe you're going to give me $5,000 after the service, but I know you're not. You might believe Kentucky is going to win the NCAA tournament, but they're not. (laughs) By the way, neither is my team, Auburn. They're already out also. But people must see the difference between what they believe and what is true. Just because someone believes something doesn't make it true. You know, many people like to think truth is relative. As long as I believe in my heart it's true, then it's true. That's, that the phrase for that is more relativism. There's a great argument. Adolf Hitler killed six million Jews. So if you go with their line of reasoning, so as long as he believed in his heart that this was okay, then it's okay. And no one would agree with that statement. You can ask and you think of one situation when it's okay to murder someone for the fun of it. You see, that's an absolute truth that murder is wrong. You see, it shows these arguments that there is absolute truth. And then you need to point them to the absolute truth as found in Scripture. You may get the the argument, well, how do you know the Bible is true? I'll just briefly cover this one. The historical evidence supports the Bible. The archaeological evidence supports the Bible. In over 25,000 discoveries, there has not been one archaeological discovery that has contradicted Scripture. In fact, every archaeological discovery has proved Scripture. And if the Bible is historically correct and archaeologically correct, why can't someone believe that it's spiritually correct? You see, there's all the fulfilled prophecies and scriptures that have come true. There's the manuscript evidence. There's thousands of manuscripts that prove that the Bible is true. There's not any other book that comes close. People will say, doesn't evolution prove the Bible is false? There's a lot of issues with evolution. There's the fossil record. There's the missing links that they still haven't been able to find and will never find them. It goes against the concept of biogenesis that says living things only can come from other living things, particularly of the same type. It goes against the second law of thermodynamics. Evolution says everything is is moving towards order. Second law of thermodynamics says everything is moving to chaos and disorder will always increase. Science actually disproves evolution. It is a theory. And there are some great books by Christian authors that that will expose the issue of evolution. There's a book called The Collapse of Evolution by Dr. Scott Hughes. There's Skeptic Search for God by Ralph Muncaster. There's Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. There's a book by Grant Jeffrey called The Signature of God. There's an organization called Answers in Genesis that's not too far from here from us. Here's the thing. We can disprove evolution. But evolutionists can't disprove the existence of God and the authenticity of His Word. And when someone asks you, prove God exists, why don't you ask them, can you disprove God exists? 
Because they can't. Because the evidence is overwhelming for the existence of God. Someone may say, how can there be a God when there's so much evil and suffering in the world? You may hear someone say, well, a loving God would not allow evil. So either there is no God or He's not loving or powerful enough. We have to understand, to answer that argument, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Because we live in a world that's sinful and broken because people choose not to love God and obey God. And there are people that question God's love because of the circumstances in their life. Maybe what kind of God would take my dad away from me when I'm so young? Here's a great way to respond. If I read the scriptures correctly, all death is caused by sin. If I read the scriptures correctly, all sin is caused by Satan. So if Satan causes all sin and thus all death, who should we point a finger at when someone dies and for the sin and the evil in the world? We need to blame Satan and not God. Because there was no death until sin. And that's why in heaven there will, sin will not exist because death will not exist. You see, we share God's truth in love and with love. Someone may ask, how can Jesus be the only way to God? Aren't there many paths? My response is simple. If there are many paths to God, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for the sins of the world? And if we could choose any path to God, then Jesus did not have to endure a painful death for payment of our sins. Why would Jesus die if he didn't have to? And I would say, in fact, if Jesus chose to go through what he went through voluntarily when he did not have to, that would be a very senseless and foolish act on his part. But John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus did what he did because Jesus knew he was the only way for us to get to the Father. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. It's only through the name of Jesus. And these are not all the answers. These aren't perfect answers, but this gives us something to build on. But the important thing is study your Bible. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Ask for God's help. Be bold. Use your Christian resources. But if we want to be an effective witness for God, we need to be prepared by understanding the message of God. The second thing I would say, a prepared witness focuses on the mission of God. A prepared witness focuses on the mission of God. Verses 4 through 8 of Acts chapter 1. While Jesus was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were excited and understandably so. Jesus, who they saw crucified, is now risen, is alive, and is with them. Jesus, who they had been following for three years, the one they watched die, is now alive. Jesus had conquered death. Jesus had conquered hell. Jesus had conquered the grave. And now they saw him as one who had even more power than before. 
And given that Jesus had been teaching them about the kingdom, they were hoping that Jesus as the resurrected king would restore and that he would set up the kingdom of Israel immediately. But Jesus made it very clear that this was not his intention and that they should not concern themselves with the Father's business. In fact, in verse 7, Jesus told them it was not for them to know. Jesus was making it very clear that the disciples were on a need-to-know basis. And he was only going to tell them what they needed to know at the time they needed to know it, and nothing more. I think of a parent-child relationship. I know as a parent, I've said before, you're on a need-to-know basis, and if you need to know it, I'll let you know. You see, Jesus told them what they needed to know. And he did tell them what they needed to know. He told them that the the mission he was going to have for them was to be his witnesses to all people in all places. In Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the whole world. And the Greek word for witness is martis. That's the root word of our word martyr. And it originally referred to a courtroom setting, but it also began to be used outside the courtroom. But the common theme of this word in all of its uses is one who attests to the facts. One who confirms the truth of something. Now there were times when it was used to describe people who who died for their faith in Christ. And we need to realize that, that it is possible that we could be martyred. Our life could be taken from us for being a witness. But Jesus is not necessarily implying that just because you witness for him that you will be killed. But Jesus warned the disciples and he wants us to focus on the task and the mission he had given them. He warned the disciples and he wants us to testify to the truth of the gospel message regardless of the consequences we may face. You see, testifying about Jesus, it can and probably will lead to opposition. It may lead to persecution. It may mean you lose a job or lose a promotion or or strain of friendship, or a family relationship. It could mean losing even your life. As numerous Christians over the past 2,000 years, and still happen today, have lost their life. It's been calculated over 70 million Christians over the past 2,000 years. And more than half of those in the 20th century lost their life because they were sharing the gospel. But Jesus' point is clear to the disciples. He's saying that we're not to let anything, whether it's opposition or persecution or fear or circumstances or busyness or apathy to detour us or distract us from the fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us, which is to share Him with others who do not know Him. Nothing kept Jesus from going to the cross. And nothing should keep us from pointing others to Him. Just the opposite should be true. Everything in our lives should point others to Jesus and point others to the love and faithfulness of Christ. Don't lose sight of the mission. Don't let anything hinder you from accomplishing the mission that God has given us, which is to share Him with others. The third thing I want to say is a prepared witness relies on the power of God. A a prepared witness relies on the power of God. The first thing is by continually surrendering to the Holy Spirit 
Acts 1.8, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Matthew 28.18-20, Jesus gave the disciples the mission to make disciples. But now in Acts 1.8, he gives the strategy. He shows us the key to witnessing. You will receive power. What power? The power that comes from God. The power that is God. It's the same power that calmed the storms. It's the same power that opened the eyes of the blind. It's the same power that raised the dead. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this same power is the Holy Spirit. You see, the moment we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives within us as believers. And it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to witness. Notice Jesus said that they were not going to be His witnesses until when? Until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Jesus didn't say just go be my witnesses and tell others what I've done for them. He said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. When can we be a witness for Christ? The moment we give our lives to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The moment you follow Christ is the moment you become a witness for Christ. You see, if we're going to witness, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is a must. Because if you and I try to witness in our own power, in our own strength, we are going to fail. Look at the book of Acts. How were the disciples able to stand up for Jesus? And to share the gospel with boldness and courage only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 7 and 8, it says, After they had Peter and John stand before them, this is the religious leaders, they were upset they were sharing the gospel. They asked the question, By what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and explained to them the gospel and what they were doing. Acts 4, 19 and 20 but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Why were they unable to stop speaking? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, with Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, verse 26, as the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to, to the desert Gaza. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasure. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. How did Philip go? Because the angel of the Lord came to him. And it was only through the holy power of the Holy Spirit that, that Philip could witness to this Ethiopian eunuch. So how are we able to share our faith? How are we able to be bold and stand up for Jesus? The same way the disciples did. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture makes it clear that without God, you and I can't do anything. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Apart from me, you, can't, you can do nothing. And that includes witnessing. And what we need to understand is when we witness, it is not our job to convict the person of their sins. It's not even our job to convert them, to give their lives to Jesus. It's simply our job to share. 
Whose job is it to convict them? Whose job is it to convert them? It's the job of the Holy Spirit to do those things. John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Acts 16, 14, A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theotera, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being spoken by Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul said, Therefore I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit. You see, when we witness... Scripture makes it very clear we are not alone, that God is with us. In John 7, 38, Jesus said, The one who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within them. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, when we witness, the Holy Spirit will guide our words. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. He'll show us when to say them, and He'll show us how to say them. But here's the neat thing. As the Holy Spirit is working in us and helping us to share, the Holy Spirit is also working in the heart of person with whom we're sharing. So please understand that if we're going to be a prepared witness, it must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is we need to continually immerse ourselves in prayer. Look at verses 9 through 14 of Acts 1. After he had said this, He was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who's been taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. Verse 12, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The disciples were continually immersing themselves in prayer. After Jesus ascended into heaven, they prayed continually. And what were they praying for? They were probably praying for God to give them what they needed to be faithful, to fulfill the last words of Jesus, to make disciples and to be his witnesses. Think about this. The previous three years, they had constantly been by Jesus' side, hearing him teach and preach. And now he's gone into heaven. And now they're wondering what's next. And I believe they're praying for courage They're praying that they will be faithful in order to fulfill the mission of making disciples and being his witnesses. And as you read through the book of Acts, you also see that prayer is very important in the life of these disciples. Acts 2.42, the first church, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. In Acts 4.31, it says, talking about the church, when they had prayed The place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. I think of the ministry of Jesus. Throughout his ministry, 
Jesus often withdrew alone so he could pray. And I believe that Jesus knew that he needed the strength from the Father to continue the mission that he was given. And I believe that when he went to the Father, he was talking to, 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 to God about people. But he understood that if he wanted people to understand God, he needed to talk to God first as an example for us. And then through these times of prayer, it's clear that the Father filled Jesus with compassion and with courage and guided his every steps. And Jesus didn't do anything without the approval and the authority of the Father. And I think in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for strength to do whatever it took for people to be saved, even dying on a cross. You know, in the same way the disciples prayed and Jesus prayed by immersing themselves in prayer and continually praying, we must pray as well. We must persistently pray for those who are lost. We must pray for their salvation. We must pray for God to open their hearts to their need for Him. We must pray for boldness to share and for opportunities to share. And pray that we will be willing to do whatever it takes for our friends and our family and our co-workers and our neighbors and even our enemies to come to know Jesus. And I think of Paul's example in Romans chapter 9 where he said, you know what? He said, I'm willing to give up my faith if it means for those that I love who don't know him to come to know him. That's how far Paul was willing to go for those he knew to come to know Jesus. He was willing to give up his faith so they could be saved. How far are we willing to go? What are we willing to do for those that don't know Christ for them to come to know Christ. We are to constantly pray for the salvation of those we know who haven't trusted Jesus as their Savior. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul writes, First of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of of truth. Paul made it very clear that God's intention is for everyone to be saved. But for everyone to be saved, as we see in the book of Romans and the book of Acts, we have to be willing to share with those who don't know Him. And we are to make it a priority, pray for their salvation and, and, for, and, and for the salvation of others because God wants everyone to be saved. And He wants us to pray, as it said at the end of 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Pray every way we know how. You say, are there different ways to pray? Yes, there are. I use a resource called Dare to Share Ministries. It's, it's a youth curriculum. And, and I came across this. There are four ways that we can pray for the lost. We can pray for their salvation with simple sentence prayers. Give that person you're praying for a longing deep inside to know you personally, God. Make them restless until they find their rest in you. Reveal yourself to them and rescue them. You can pray the Lord's Prayer over them from Matthew 9, or 6, 9 through 13. And insert they, their name. May they see you as their heavenly Father. May your kingdom come and reign in their life. May your will be done as you draw yourself to them in a personal relationship with you. We can pray a name of God over them. Pleading that God would reveal themselves to them 
in a certain way, revealing a certain part of his character. Maybe, God, I pray that, that they would experience you as their Savior. Or, God, I pray they would experience you as their Redeemer or their Refuge or their Good Shepherd or their Emmanuel or their Abba Father. You can also pray a question, asking God to give you guidance to how he would have you reach out to that person. God, how can I help them come to know you? What can I do or ask that might prompt them to consider the truth of the gospel? These are four simple ways that we all could pray for those who don't know him. And these are just a few examples, and you may have other examples, and feel free to pray using your own approach. But here's the important thing. If we want to be prepared to share Jesus, we need to immerse ourselves in prayer. Praying constantly for opportunities to share and the courage to share. Praying persistently for those you know who do not know Jesus to come to Jesus. And the third thing under point three is we need to continually be obedient to God. We need to continually be obedient to God. If we want to experience the power of God, we need to be obedient to God. If we want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and for God to use us to reach others with the gospel, we need to be like these disciples. We need to share the gospel and we need to live the gospel. God is not going to give us opportunities to share with those who do not know Him if we are not living for Him. What good does it do for us to share Jesus if we're not living a life of obedience to Him? It does no good at all. In fact, it hurts our witness. It damages our testimony. Because before God is going to use us to make a difference in the lives of others, Jesus needs to make a difference in our own lives. And as you read the book of Acts, you can see the difference that Jesus made in the life of the disciples. And you can see that they were living out the gospel. If you go Acts 4.21 this was after Peter and John were arrested for sharing Jesus. They went before the Sanhedrin and they told them to stop. And they said, we can't stop. And then they threatened them, they released them, they found no way to punish them because the people were giving glory to God over what had been done. We'll go to Acts chapter 5 verse 14. It says, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, crowds of both men and women. Why? Because Peter and John did not quit sharing. And then you get to verse 17 of chapter 5. Then the high priest took action. They were done with John and uh, uh, Peter. He and all his colleagues, those who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested them and put them in the city jail. But then you read further and it says that they were released. And then you go to verse 29. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you've murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to guarantee repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. Verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Go to verse 40 of chapter 5. They didn't stop. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged again, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. And every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is Jesus. What did these disciples do? They didn't care what man said. 
They didn't care what fear or persecution or opposition came upon them and against them. They continued to preach Jesus. They continued to be obedient to the mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want people to turn to God and not away from God, we need to live our lives in such a way that will point them to Christ. Because we can't tell someone to live for Jesus and love Jesus and worship Jesus if we're not doing those things ourselves. And may we never be the reason that someone doesn't come to know Jesus. The last thing I'll share is a prepared witness embraces divine appointments from God. Turn to Acts chapter 8. I'm not going to read all of Acts 8, just a little bit of it here in a second, but Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 is the encounter of the Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. But a prepared witness embraces divine assignments. If God calls us to witness, if he tells us he's going to be with us when we witness, it would stand to reason that God is going to give us opportunities to witness. And when God gives us these opportunities, we need to be prepared and we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God arranges for us to have divine appointments. I believe that God causes our paths to cross with someone who doesn't know Him and whom He wants us to share with. And I believe the Holy Spirit sets up these encounters because someone is searching for Him and someone needs what only He can give. When we come to Acts chapter 8 and verses 5 through 8, we see that Philip, He was having a great preaching ministry in Samaria and things were happening. But God interrupted and called him to travel down a desert road in Acts chapter 8 verse 26. He said, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from the Jerusalem to desert Gaza. He got up, he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was, and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 34, the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about himself or another person so Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from the scripture God had a specific person that he wanted Philip to talk to and when God called Philip to go down the desert road to Gaza Philip went immediately just as God told him and on his way back from Jerusalem from worshiping the Ethiopian he ran into this Ethiopian eunuch And the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and he said, go to that chariot. And scripture says Philip just didn't go. He ran. He couldn't wait to talk to this eunuch. And when he got to the chariot, he heard him reading from Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8, which is verses 32 and 33 of Acts chapter 8, where it says, Jesus was like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearer, he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And when he got to that chariot and heard the eunuch reading it, the the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip to explain what he was reading. 
And Philip asked him a great question. He said, do you understand what you're reading? The the eunuch said he couldn't understand unless someone explained to him. What a door God opened for Philip. God gave Philip a softball. And Philip hit it out of the park. God gave Philip something to work with and Philip didn't miss. Look what Philip told him. He said he began with the passage the man was reading. He met the man where he was and he shared the good news of Jesus. And as a result, the eunuch believed in Jesus and was baptized and rejoiced because his life had been changed. You know what? We need to follow Philip's example. We need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. What if Philip decided he didn't want to go? He would have missed this opportunity to share, and who knows if the Ethiopian eunuch would have ever heard about Jesus. Philip also met the Ethiopian eunuch where he was, and we need to meet people where they are. He started the discussion based on what the man was doing. He was reading the book of Isaiah, and as he was reading it, Philip understood what he was reading, which shows Philip had a knowledge of the Scriptures. And asking questions is a great way to start gospel conversations. That can be done anywhere. Scripture says as you go, have these gospel conversations, whether it's at the store or the restaurant or the school or at work or or whatever it might be. We are to have gospel conversations with others and explain the good news of Jesus. When we go on our Upward visitation, just as I said, we're going to talk about our church and thank them for being part of Upward. But we want to have those gospel conversations. How do you bridge the gap from the introduction to the conversation? Let me give you two questions you can ask. The first question is this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you you're going to heaven? And then you ask them, well, why are you that confident? And if they say, well, I gave my life to Christ, great. You can talk to them about their walk with God and invite them to church if they don't have a church home. But what if they say... I'm a good person. What if they say, well, I've done good things, or I'm better than so-and-so? Then you ask them, can I share with you what the Bible says, and can I tell you how Jesus changed my life? A simple transition to the gospel conversation by asking those two questions. How confident are you? Are you going to heaven? And why are you that confident? You'll either get the right answer, which is saved by grace through faith, Or you'll get the works answer or the good person answer. Or maybe, I don't know. And then you're able to share the gospel using the different tools or methods that you know or are familiar with. And then you're able to share your story of how God changed your life in a brief setting. And then you need to invite them to receive Jesus as well. You know what Philip did? He just didn't say to the Ethiopian eunuch, let me explain Isaiah to you. Bye, I gotta go. He took the time to explain what Isaiah meant, and he took the time to invite this Ethiopian eunuch to receive Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We need to follow his lead. You know, we need to be willing and to embrace the opportunities God gives us. And when God brings divine appointments into our lives, we can't ignore them. We need to act upon them as we may be the only opportunity that that person that God has brought into our lives has to hear the gospel. Don't miss the opportunity that God puts in front of you. You know, Joni and I, when we were in California, we 
visited this young lady. It was a dark and dreary night, and we knocked on the door, and the single young lady answered. We told her who we were, what church we were from. As soon as we finished introducing ourselves, she said this, I was praying to God that someone would come by tonight and talk to me and pray with me. We prayed with her, and she received Christ. That was a divine appointment. If Joni and I would have ignored the leading of the Spirit to go and visit this young lady, who knows if she would have had another opportunity. Take advantage of those opportunities that God placed in front of you. You know, there are people in your life, in my life, in our circle of influence, who if they died today, they would spend eternity separated from God forever in hell. And God wants you to tell them, about His love and what Jesus did for them. That their sins can be forgiven and they can have eternal life. But if we're going to share Jesus with them, we have to be prepared. We have to understand the message. We have to focus on the mission. We have to rely on His power and go in His power. We have to immerse ourselves in prayer, praying for them and praying for boldness and courage for us. And we have to embrace the divine appointments God brings into our lives. And I pray this morning that God has placed at least one person on your heart that he wants you to share with. That God has revealed to you who is your one, or it might be your two, or it might be your three. And I pray that you are prepared to share Jesus with them. And if you don't know Jesus, please give your life to him today. Don't wait until it's too late. Respond to Jesus while you can. You heard the gospel message clearly in song and clearly in the message today. But now it's your responsibility to receive Christ into your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus, are you prepared to share Jesus with others? If you're not prepared, what needs to change in your life so you will be prepared? And who is your one? Who has God laid on your heart that you need to share with and that you want to see give their lives to Him? After we pray in a moment and as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come down to this display as I mentioned earlier. Take a ping pong ball and put the initials of that one or two or three people that God has laid on your heart to give their life to Jesus and put that ping pong ball in that display. But before you put that ping pong ball in that display, I want to ask you to pray for that person. That God would open their heart to His truth. And then ask that God would give you the boldness and the opportunity to share. And then place that ping pong ball in, down in that display. We're going to pray and Bill's going to come and sing and lead us in our song of invitation. And as he does, I want you as God's laid people in your heart to take advantage of this opportunity. So we as a church can pray for these names that are dropped in that display. So we can pray for them. And if there are other decisions that are been made, maybe this message has spoke to you and you need to give your life to Jesus, we'd love to share with you how you can do that this morning. Or maybe you need to be baptized or, or join our church or other decisions. This time is also a time for you to respond as well. And if you need to speak to me, I'll be down at front. But let's pray. And then we'll have our time of invitation. And I invite you to come to this altar. I invite you to drop a name or two or three in that display that you want to reach for Jesus before the end of the year is up. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning.
Father, we just thank you for your goodness and for your grace and for your mercy. Father, we want to thank you for the gospel message. We want to thank you for the good news. And Father, it's clear in the book of Acts that if we're going to share Jesus, Father, we need to be prepared. Father, we need to understand the message, God. We need to go in your power and your strength. We need to take advantage of those divine appointments that you put in front of us. And Father, I pray this morning that every single one of us, Lord, that you've placed someone on our hearts that we need to share Jesus with, someone on our hearts that we want to come to know Christ. And Father, I pray that not only would we pray for you to open the heart of that individual, but we would pray in our own lives, God, that we would have the boldness and the courage and the opportunity to share. Father, because if we don't share, we, they may not have anyone else to share with them. Father, may we fulfill your mission of being a prepared witness to share you with others. God, if there's someone here watching online who doesn't know you, I pray today would be their day of salvation. They say, oh, I want to give my life to Jesus. Other decisions need to be made, Father. We just give this time of response, this time of invitation to you. And God, we just ask all these things in your name. Amen. So as we stand and sing our commitment song, this altar is open for you. This display is here for you to put the names of those that you want to come to know Jesus before this year is up. Let's stand. <laughs>